Well, welcome back to the Cordell and Cordell and Men's Divorce Podcast. I'm Scott Trout, CEO and Managing Partner of Cordell and Cordell. We continue to bring you information for guys before, during, and after divorce and all things related to family law. And today we're gonna to do the same thing. We're gonna talk about standing orders and we'll get into that uh, with our attorney from Cordell and Cordell, Christina in Jacksonville, Florida, welcome. Hi, good afternoon, Scott. Thank you for having me on here. Yeah, thanks for joining again. It's an interesting topic and there's a caution to everyone just listening, obviously. A consultation is more important than this educational tool. It's not attorney-client information or a relationship or legal advice, obviously. We always talk about scheduling a consult with us or an attorney who just practices exclusively in family law. Uh, if you want to give us a call, you can call us at 866-DADS-LAW or schedule a consultation. Just go to the web, cordellcordell.com, get some information about the office nearest you. We have offices around the country, including the United Kingdom. So, all right, Christina, let's talk about standing orders and kind of the word of caution. Obviously, we were talking off camera, and that is not everywhere around the country, not every state has something called standing orders. So we would encourage you obviously uh, to check with your attorney or Google that and find out whether or not standing orders exist in your county particularly, because here where I practice, uh, it is determined by the county, by county. Some don't have standing orders, some do. It's not state mandated um, and they're important. And that's what we're gonna get into, why they're important and they're really a pitfall for many guys out there potentially um, when in the heat of the moment. So let's talk generally about Florida, where you are, and what they are and what their purpose really is. All right, sounds good. So one of the important things that we always talk about is know your judge. One of the ways to do that is to look and see what the standing family law order is for that county, because that's gonna tell you what the judge is looking for right from the outset of your case. And so even, even though we go county by county, it can get more specific than that where a judge can add an addendum to it and it gives you even more information. And so it's so important, number one, read it. It's usually no more than three to four pages and it gives you all of the information and deadlines that are very important to the beginning of any case. It can cover discovery. It can give you guidelines on initial time sharing issues before you get to see a judge. It can tell you what you can and cannot do with your marital assets and your marital debts. And then it'll also tell you about parenting classes. In Florida specifically, you have to complete a parenting class. Everyone does. And then in certain counties, they even have classes for children if they're in a certain age group where they have to complete those as well to help them go through the divorce process. And so we want to make sure that we're complying with those and that we are being proactive with our litigation and that we're not setting ourselves up within the first 30 to 45 days to receiving a motion for contempt for violating this order right out the gate. Yeah. You know, it is, it's so important. I've got a case now where uh, the, the opposing party decided to take steps uh, that are a direct violation of the order. And my guess is, and we'll get to that, is it wasn't perhaps they knew about the order, is my guess is they weren't advised about the order. And that is the key part here is knowing, as you know your judge, know the order, know what's going on and what the rules are. And uh, this one in particular, they, they uh, took all of the utilities, canceled them, and then uh, removed health insurance and for not only the, 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 the spouse of our client, but the kids. And then sent an email that said, good luck, get your own. And I mean, well, it couldn't have been better in terms of trying to get a contempt, but you know, the status quo is really what's important here and that's why they do it, right? Absolutely. And so we can be on either end of it because a lot of times we've got someone who's paying the bills, but the other parent has the insurance for everyone. And so we want to make sure that everyone's complying with this because the goal is status quo. The judge knows that 
your case might settle in a couple of weeks. It could unfortunately take two years. And that's just the reality of the judicial system. And so if it is the case that takes two years, then we need to be able to look back at the date that you filed that case and get that status quo of what was going on so that the judge has an idea on how to divide up marital assets, how to deal with time sharing, things like that. Yeah. You know, there used to be a time before the status quo uh, uh, standing orders where there'd be a race to court and doing certain things to get, you know, protected standing on based on whether you're the petitioner, if you had kids or you had rights to possession of the home. Um, and now what's interesting, and maybe you can talk, ours go into effect immediately upon filing um, and they, they're in effect upon service. So if the other side doesn't know you file, once they receive service, they'll get a copy of the standing order and it outlines exactly what they cannot do. And then it outlines exactly what they are, should be doing by providing certain documents. So when do, in Florida particularly, when do they go in effect and, and kind of what do they outline? So it's exactly just that. If you're filing the case, then for the most part, in almost every county that I practice, the attorney who's filing your case will prepare that standing family law order. It is in effect against you because you have knowledge of the case. And so it's reasonable that once it's filed, that order is in effect against the person who has filed that case and initiated it. However, the other person who doesn't know about the case necessarily or has not been formally served, it's not in effect against them until the moment that they're served by the process server. And so at that point, they have reasonable notice and you have to make sure that they're in compliance with it. It is extremely important, that distinction, because I have a case where I re represent the gentleman who was served and he traded his car in two weeks before he was served. Mm -hmm. And so they made a big to-do in court about the fact that he violated this order, but we were able to come in with the trade-in documents and show this is the date that he did this, this is the date he was served, and it prevented him from being found in contempt of court. Whereas something, had he not done that and he done it two weeks after being served, then he could have been in trouble and on the hook for attorney's fees for yeah. doing something that seems routine. And that is a big thing is when the standing orders disposal of property, sale, exchange. It is about planning. You know, For 18 months now, we've been talking about strategy and planning and whether you're taking action right now, today, tomorrow, next week, You know, there are things like that, disposal of a car. You wanna do certain things before you file, which would kick in the prohibition of doing that. And that's, you know, the heat of the moment is everything where I know that I have guys that come in and say, well, I'm shutting our credit cards. I am closing the bank accounts. I am doing this. and. She kicked me out, so I, I don't want to pay for the utilities. I'm removing my name. I'm going to tell her, you know, it's, it's a very emotional time. And obviously, that's what it's supposed to do is to kind of slow things down. But, you know, in your instance that you just mentioned, strategizing and having a conversation with an attorney before those orders are in place are is really key, right? Absolutely. A lot can be avoided by talking to your attorney about what it is that you want to do, because I can understand that it's extremely restrictive. All of a sudden you have an entity who does not know you telling you, no, you can't move money around. No, you can't trade your car in, even though the lease is up. But what has to happen is we need to have those conversations so that we can be proactive and file the right motion. Even yeah. parties who need attorney's fees and want to sell a home, both parties agree. You still need a consent order in place that allows you to do it. And then you're free and clear. So as long as you're proactive, you can still make changes happen, but you need to either get permission from the court or consent from the other side. Yeah, I mean, it goes so far as I know that here in Missouri, it'll even set forth perhaps discovery, uh, what you can do in terms of subpoenas, requests for production, interrogatories we talk about. What in Florida, does it do the same thing? So in Florida, we actually have mandatory disclosures. I'm not sure if 
if Missouri has that. But right out the gate, the legislature has defined the minimum discovery that Floridians need to have in order to get divorced, have a child support action, paternity action. It's all the same. It's a blanket document that's meant to capture it. And they actually just expanded on it in January of this year. So you want to make sure that you're looking up the most recent mandatory disclosure checklist. Yeah. Um, but with those documents, it gives you the deadline that's 45 days from the date that the person is served and everybody's on the hook for these documents. It's cumbersome. And so we want to get on those right away. And so that's one of those documents that gives everybody notice even before discovery requests are getting filed. I mean, it does allow, I mean, I get it. We do have the similar where we call it a mandatory exchange. You know, it could be pay stubs, bank accounts, tax returns, mm -hmm. uh, pension information, those types of information that allow you to be prepared in the event there's a very quick court date that you don't have to spend perhaps the efforts to send a subpoena. And it does give you the kind of a baseline information to really be prepared for a settlement conference, a temporary hearing, a child support hearing, a maintenance hearing, obviously bare minimum, uh, but I get it. And these are the types of things that I think in the heat where someone gets filed, gets served, they shut down. And they are so critically important to meet those deadlines. I can tell you in the case I was just talking about where the other side um, went ahead and you know, shut off utilities, they still haven't complied with the mandatory exchange. And you know, the feedback I was getting from my client was, well, look, look I don't want to exchange if they aren't. I'm like, look, we'll play by the rules and we'll use that against them as we get further down. And they're probably a good 90 to 120 days late uh, and we intend to use that against them in terms of the mandatory exchange. And I know courts don't look you know, kindly upon that here, at least here in Missouri. What about Florida? So in Florida, it's the same thing. And, and we all hear that where if the other person's not playing by the rules, why should I have to? My quote is, you always want to be the most reasonable person in the room, and you don't go into court saying, stamping your feet and saying, they didn't give me what they were supposed to, but then you didn't also. Yeah. And so you want to always stick to those deadlines. If you can't meet those deadlines, that's what extensions were made for. We file the right motion, we get you the extra time, and, and then we move forward. But it'll per the, if you don't follow those rules, the court is not inclined to give you the relief that you're seeking. And in my experience, temporary relief hearings, whether it's time sharing or financial support, if you don't comply with those discovery deadlines, if you don't complete that parenting course sometime, the court will deny your request for failure to comply with the rules. And it's a shame because it's something that's manageable that can be done. It's just cannot be delayed. Right. Yeah. What is so contempt? I mean, what are really the, what are the penalties? What is the kind of the downside? What really could happen uh, if you've got a client who just chooses to ignore it? So it's really a sliding scale from not great to really bad. Mm -hmm. um, the, the court could slap you on the wrist and say, um, you need to produce these within X amount of time. Usually when that happens, it's not without an, an award of attorney's fees to the other side or to you if your other side isn't complying. Yeah. But it can, all, it can go all the way up to incarceration if it's properly pled. It's very rare. We don't want anyone to panic, even when it's pled. The judges are going to say, you didn't comply with the discovery deadline, you're going to jail. However, if they file enough motions to compel, enough orders to show cause, there's no reason why a court wouldn't be within their authority to do that punitively. Yeah, it's huge. I, and it's so critical. Like in this case, we've moved to dismiss their pleadings on the basis for failure to file local rules, basically saying, look, they can participate in some regards by just sitting there, but they can't get any affirmative relief. And we're going to pretty much ask and hopefully get what we want. You know, the rules are the rules. And, you know, we're put into a disability situation where we don't know uh, any of their uh, information without having to go force and go get it through normal discovery means. And so 
And so that's why it's so critical. There's a guy listening now, I'm sure that's thinking, I have no idea what these standing orders are. Maybe they don't exist. But the point is, is it's a good conversation to have with an attorney saying, look, am I missing something here? Are there such things as mandatory document exchange or mandatory discovery or standing orders, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, my office personally, we have, we've broken it down into a checklist that we send out right with your initial status letter because we want you thinking about that from day one. It comes with my little apology note of I'm so sorry for all of this homework, but you must do it because we can't do it for you. The only thing that we can do is help you figure out how to find it and make sure that we're properly documenting it if you do need additional time to gather it. Yeah. And it's really busy. I always say there's kind of these spurts of activity especially in the beginning, you're gonna have a lot of stuff to do and you say homework, it is. It's, you know, do your own financials, gather these documents, let's respond in this way. We've got to get these pleadings filed. And then when they respond, it's doing it again. It's kind of up and down a cyclical time period by which, you know, when it's really busy, it's driving you crazy. And when it's really not busy, it's driving you crazy because you want to know what's going on. But it is communication, right? Communication with your attorney, constant communication, understanding the process, knowing what you are obligated to do and what they are too is important. I agree. And looking back at these standing family law orders is another great way to keep track of time and make sure as a client that you're also keeping in line with the deadlines that are set forth by the court in addition to communicating with your attorney. You talked about earlier, but coming back full circle about the attorney who files preparing the standing order. Is it just a pre-printed form in which it's attached to the pleadings that everyone follows in Florida or what does it look like? So every county is a little bit different. That's why I say it can be two pages, it can be four pages, and it can have an addendum on top of that. I just filed a case in Orange County, which had a five-page addendum that attached to it with that specific judge's requirements. And so we're constantly checking to make sure that they're updated. Yes, it is something that we get directly from the clerk's office, and we do a notice of filing, we prepare it and send it out that way. There's certain counties that make the attorney and the client sign it before they'll accept your filing. And so it's really just county by county but they, they're all very consistent with the information that they have. Yeah. It's just a matter of how that judge wants those timelines to play out. But the most consistent is that 45 day mandatory discovery deadline and yeah. making sure that those documents are exchanged. And I think as we kind of conclude the, the segment, the key takeaway here is not only obviously asking the question about these standing orders, but before in the progression of your case, before you make any major decisions, hey, I'm gonna pull the plug on you know, the insurance, I'm going to change a beneficiary, I'm going to do this, I'm, you know, making a change to your will, have a conversation and ask, can I do this, right? Absolutely. You have to think, does this impact my family or my finances in some way? If it does, you need to be having a conversation with your attorney. Yeah. Christina, thanks again for joining. Good stuff on standing orders, especially in Florida. And I know we've got them here. And I'm sure they're in the majority of the cities, counties and states around the country. So thanks for joining. All right. Thank you for having me. We'll continue to tune in twice each week. We're going to bring topics like this. And also we have coming up this week is a virtual town hall where you can log in, register first, log in, join the attorneys of Cordell and Cordell live and ask questions and get answers during that virtual town hall. But the only way to get those answers is to register. And you can do that by going to CordellCordell.com. We've been doing virtual town halls since really February of 2020 when beginning of COVID and we're just carrying it on through on topics just like this, topics on divorce, topics on what you can do and what information you should know while you're facing a family law issue. So go to CordellCordell.com and register for that virtual town hall. It's gonna be every month and you can check it out, but also go to the YouTube channel for Cordell Cordell 
podcasts just like this. You're going to find a lot of information, but don't forget to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. You're going to get an update every time there's a new one posted, which will be twice every week. So thanks for joining. And until next time, have a great week.